Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Jermaine Augustine, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager. On the 16th of August, Malaysia's 8th Prime Minister, Muhyiddin Yassin, and his cabinet, who came to power via a political coup in 2020, officially resigned. At the time of this recording, the next Prime Minister is being selected by a secret vote by members of parliament via statutory declarations to the king. The next Prime Minister, the third in two years, will be just another product of a long-running political crisis. How can Malaysians enact meaningful change when politicians can so easily topple the government by jumping between coalitions? On today's episode, I speak to Arvind Kathirchelvan and Chong Yishan from Party Socialist Malaysia about the limitations of electoral politics and potential alternatives to this system. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just $1 a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. Hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. How's everyone doing? I'm well, Good. thank you for asking. So I wanted to start with this statement. Parliamentary democracy is dead. Arvind, you wrote those exact words in an op-ed. Tell us why you think so. Well, um, we can see in the past two years that uh, supposedly parliamentary democracy that is supposed to uh, be the representative of the voice of the rakyat uh, essentially became a uh, contest of uh, who gets the numbers between uh, the 222 people who hold the seats within parliament. So um, can we really call that a democracy? I highly doubt so. You know, allegiances were changed at a drop of a hat. And if I can say it without any proof, a lot of money politics was also going around in the background as well. So uh, this whole notion, uh, the romanticization of a democracy that is enshrined in parliament essentially doesn't exist because it is separated from uh, the will of the people. Uh, we couldn't do anything during the charity move. We can't do anything now, as we, as uh, Ismail Sabri, uh, one of the uh, least qualified, if I may say, uh, people to ever become prime minister, uh, is going to uh, possibly become prime minister. We, there's, there's really nothing that we can do about it. It is all up to the uh, 220 people who are in parliament at the moment. Uh, that's why I made that statement. I don't think it is representative of democracy. And... Uh, you know, I'd like to come back to that, that um, your opinion that Ismail Sabri is the least qualified to be prime minister. So would you make a distinction between parliamentary democracy, which, as you said, it's out of our hands at the moment. It's, it's you know, it doesn't matter who we voted for. It comes down to who can get the numbers to be in charge, basically. But would you make a distinction between parliamentary democracy and democracy? And if so, would you say the same for democracy in Malaysia, that it's dead? Good question, actually. This is a very good question. Um, actually, I'd like to make a slight correction. Uh, when, I, when I wrote those words, parliamentary democracy is dead, uh, that was in response to an article by Tim Tong, if I'm not mistaken, who said uh, parliamentary democracy was the solution uh, to Malaysia. So uh, the real critique here essentially is uh, liberal democracy as it, is, as it is practiced in Malaysia. So um, when we say, is democracy dead in Malaysia? Um, we have to question whether it was even alive in the first place. So uh, uh, has democracy or has the political system in Malaysia empowered the people on the ground 
to come up and uh, have their issues addressed? Or is it about a, a top-down version of politics where you are talked down by these elites uh, who make decisions on your behalf, who do what they want to do or need to do to get uh, and attain power? Um, in that broader sense, I would say yes, democracy in Malaysia is dead, but I would even argue to say that democracy in Malaysia was not aligned in the first place. Definitely a provocative statement, I think, to many people. So, yeah, you know, it, it, we're talking in this, the context of a liberal democracy and parliamentary democracy as it's practiced in Malaysia. And when we discuss our current political crisis, a solution people often come up with is to call for fresh elections to, to decide on who should govern. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. You know, I mean, clearly you don't think that we've ever had true democracy in the country, but do you think electoral politics is still the way forward? Um, it's possibly the only way forward, I would say. Well, uh, let me make a quali some qualifying statements. Um, in history, we can see that uh, uh, power is attained uh, through various means. One, is, uh, one such means is uh, uh, electoral politics. Another such means is a revolution. Um, at the moment, uh, can we have a revolution in the country? We can't because uh, the state, uh, as it is uh, uh, funded by capital, is too powerful to destroy in that way. So there is only one way to attain power, essentially, and that is through elections. So uh, in that kind of broad statement, I would say, yes, of course, electoral politics is still the way forward. But what kind of electoral politics is what we need to understand? So. Um, when we talk about how to uh, make uh, the current system more proletarian or more uh, reflective of the common uh, person, we have to understand that uh, the main problem is uh, the system takes away power from the people from the very core. So the only thing that uh, the people can do essentially is once in five years they uh, vote for a candidate that is not chosen by them, by the way, it's chosen by uh, uh, political parties. and after that, whatever that uh, candidate who wins decides to do is uh, not up to the people. They cannot have any input on it. They cannot really do anything about it. Uh, this person that they voted for can betray their trust. They can go over to the other side. They can do whatever they want within the span of five years. And after that five years is done, another president is had. So the romanticization is when we think, oh, it's okay. At least we can change them every five years. In practice, it doesn't happen because at the, at the core of it is uh, what powers this kind of like system in the first place, and that is capital. You know, the, uh, uh, the, the current mainstream political parties, all of them are not uh, brave enough to confront capital uh, and uh, truly identify it as the corrupter of uh, politics. If we take, for example, um, let's say we take one ministry, we take the Labour ministry, both see, uh, we see both Saravanan and uh, here before him was Kula Segeret. Both were very reluctant or even supportive of uh, such an employer as uh, Topglove. Uh, when we know for a fact that uh, Topglove has been engaging in a lot of anti-worker uh, activities. Why is that so? It's clearly because of capital influencing their decisions, whether it is by under table money or whether it is by support or uh, uh, like what call that, uh, clear support uh, for them, or it is by uh, working together with them uh, to, to keep their power, basically. So with all of these influences within electoral politics, with capital backing 
these uh, the, the best candidates for them to win, um, electoral parties itself need to dramatically change uh, for it to reflect the voice of the people. The, the way that I move uh, put forward is we must, we as in the progressives and the leftists in Malaysia must return to the core of organizing the masses. We cannot put too much faith in electoralism because electoral politics is is um, built to maintain uh, the, the, the supremacy of capital. So we need to empower the people by organizing them, if it's workers, into unions, if it's um, uh, normal uh, consumers, for example, in associations. And through that building of dual power, can we uh, educate the masses on what their rights are, what is the way forward, and how capital influences their lives. And only through that can we achieve a proper um, uh, consciousness that will allow the people to um, uh, put forward candidates that they believe in and vote for candidates that truly uh, back them, essentially. And those candidates would not be influenced by capital because their power comes from the masses and uh, uh, this kind of like eliminates the issue of uh, uh, capital influencing electoralism. And what about you, Ishan? Do you believe that you know electoral politics is still the way that we can move forward in the country? I think uh, in Malaysia, unless we can really change the current uh, electoral system, otherwise I don't see we have other options, you know. Uh, but of course, I, I think that uh, like we say, they are doing where uh, they are actually uh, advocate to change that current electoral system is uh, to the proportional uh, system. So which I think there will be more favor to a small party uh, like us. Uh, but I think back to the reality is people are still having hope that using the electoral system to make some to make the change on in the politics, which uh, they still believe that uh, this is the only way that we can change our government and stuff like that, which personally I don't see that should be the only way of it. Lah. Because like we say that there are some fraud for us, uh, uh, there are some problem in this uh, current electoral system. And we also see that this problem already lead to us to these current situations right now that we've been changing uh, our government, our cabinet, our prime minister in the past two years, right? So how we have to do the reform on the electoral system and how beside then the electoral system as a civil society, uh, how can we ensure that this kind of, we say, political crisis uh, happen in coming in our future or now, which I think that we probably are not working on it. But I think, I think one point is very important is we shouldn't uh, rely on the our current and only electoral system. It should be. Uh, we have also other way, like we say, to protest. It's all other ways that to ensure uh, this kind of political crisis does not happen. And how can we really uh, carry our our rakyat suara rakyat in this matter? Yeah, but I think you're right, Yishan, that in Malaysia, a significant amount of civil society organizing right now is focused on voting rights. In the past, 
we saw thousands of citizens join street protests to demand reforms to the electoral system via the Bursay movement, which you mentioned. And more recently, we saw youth movements successfully lobby to lower the voting age from 21 to 18, though this has yet to be implemented. Why do you think there's such an intense focus on voting rights in Malaysia? I think it's back to what like, people still believe that electoral system can change the government, right? So that's why there are civil society, they are still also uh, advocating, strongly advocating that to change on the uh, electoral system, to reform the electoral system. And I think uh, only Lapan Blast that, that lowering the voting age is also benefit both parties, you know. I mean, it, both parties, it means all parties. It's like the... Uh, uh, the government, they also feel like, or even BN, Barisan National, any other party, they also feel like, okay, lowering the age actually gives us more people to vote us. I can have more opportunity to gain more uh, vote from the other party. So people are still believe in that. Lah. That's why they are still advocating on that. But I still see like the state is just trying to do other ways besides then, uh, lowering, lowering the voting age which is like, say, changing the, the, the uh, electoral system by using the other kind of uh, system where allow more diverse voice uh, into our current uh, political scenario. Yeah, so currently it is quite difficult for smaller parties to contest in an election, for independent candid- candidates to um, contest in an election. I- in fact, it's almost impossible for an independent candidate outside of established parties to win. Um, though in the last election, we do we did see at least one MP who was an independent candidate winning his seat, which is um, the MP of Batu, I believe, in Johor. But And I do want to bring us back to something you said earlier, Yishan, which is you, f- you feel like protests, um, going down to the streets, protesting, that's one way to be politically engaged. But I want to hear from both of you, how can people be politically engaged outside of voting? At the moment, uh, well, we have to understand what politics is about. Politics is about uh, representing the people's uh, voice and uh, essentially trying to bring them, empowering the, the underclass, essentially. So that is what uh, politics should be. And uh, people can get engaged um, with politics with uh, loads of activities, such as uh, organizing the people on the ground, uh, uh, getting together and trying to like mobilize uh, mutual aid. For example, we're in a pandemic. Uh, they can uh, get involved uh, with that as well. But it shouldn't stop at the level of uh, uh, giving charity. So there must be a, a, an additional analysis that, that asks why people are in these uh, situations in the first place. Why did our systems break down in this way? And why are so many people left behind from, um, from progressing? Uh, we take, for example, um, working on uh, flat cases, for example, like PPR issues. Uh, if you go to the PPR flat, then you realize that actually a lot of people there do qualify to get PPR uh, residents, uh, or sorry, uh, PPR houses, but then they are actually subletting from another person who owns it. And you can see that there is a breakdown in the system because like um, people who are supposed to get the houses are not getting them, whereas people who are not supposed to get the houses are get, uh, sorry, people who are supposed to get the houses are not getting them. And people who are uh, supposed to not get the houses are getting them and they're renting it out at exorbitant prices. So this is a loophole in the system uh, due to corruption. And, uh, that is, and, and the first thing that 
uh, what do you call that, a local council will say is actually we don't have enough allocation to build enough houses, so that is why there's so many people who are left out of the system. So we need to question why that is so. Why is um, why is that not enough houses? Why is that, uh, uh, what do you call that, a loophole here to allow people to come in and take over this uh, public housing just to, uh, what do you call that, uh, rent out of exorbitant prices. So when you get involved with the issues that are local to you, uh, PPR housing, for example, or environmentalism, um, then you will get to understand what are the structures that are within this capitalist system that disallow people from uh, getting things that are supposed to be their rights or even uh, putting them through something that is uh, horrific, essentially. So underemployment, unemployment, we have to uh, ask ourselves why the economic system is in uh, such a way that there are billionaires out there who get um, you know, 14%, uh, 15% increases in their net worth uh, during pandemic when, uh, you know, uh, underemployment, overemployment is to the roof, the economy has shrunk. And uh, this is how they can get involved, essentially. At PSM, we do a lot of groundwork uh, with uh, affected people. We have uh, uh, groups of um, farmers and, and laborers that uh, and now we are starting a big economy group uh, to get them together and organize them proper union so that they can fight for uh, things that, uh, that that are directly involved with them and through that we understand their issues and uh, through an analysis of what those issues are caused by we understand uh, uh, the critique against the capitalist system so that is how we build up and that essentially is proletarian democracy because you're getting the people who are affected the most come up and voice their uh, dissatisfaction and you're educating the masses on all of these things that are hidden from them uh, uh, and then builds up uh, a class analysis and characteristic that will inform people of how to move forward with uh, the system that we have at the moment. I think uh, our input are very good. Uh, I think like how an ordinary people that can involve in this is actually uh, one simple thing is only monitoring. You know, how you monitor uh, the uh, government, whether they are doing good or not, or how, mo how to monitor that the uh, member parliament in your area doing good or not, did they do their work or not. So I think it's just as simple as that. Because many people now, especially now, you know, people already feel like giving up. Like, uh, what is the point I go to work? What is the point I actively participate in politics? Eventually it's come out, this kind of things, drama happen in my country. What is the point? You know, people start feeling happy. What is the point that I doing this and that? So I think, uh, it's also very important that without uh, thinking that what is the point, that's all actually still very important to monitoring the politicians and the government and the, uh, uh, our minister, how they do the work and ensure they are doing the work right. If they are not doing the work right, of course, like we said, that uh, protesting is always a way out. But uh, voicing out, uh, actively talk about these in no matter in social media, with your friend, I think it's also it's just something very basic that we can do uh, right now, especially now it's a pandemic. We have a lot of time spending with our family. I think, yeah, these are like the best time that we should start talking politics in our home, in our house, with our family member and educating and, and together we can monitoring what happened in the home. I think it's something very basic. Lah. Yeah, I think that's true. This current situation is making people feel very helpless. But let's talk about your party. So currently, P 
PSM does not have a seat in parliament, um, which people have sort of brought up and said, like, well, so what can you do, right? And your only MP, Dr. Mike, Michael Jayakuma, lost his seat in the 2018 election in a three-cornered fight. So has PSM totally abandoned electoral politics? No, la, I don't think so. I think, after all, we are still a political party, right? Although we are, we are also clear aware that current political system, uh, electoral system is uh, may not favor, uh, not favor to us, you know. But I think we are not giving up on this. Uh, we, uh, why PSM from uh, when the founding member went, when they think they, they didn't think of they want to start this political party, is one clear state is they know that we are going to using this political party to change the country. This is a very clear, a very clear goal that we have it. So, yeah, we are not abandoned, you know, we are still uh, playing a role in, in, in this uh, uh, political arena. Is there any coalition PSM would join? So, with, with regards to, sorry for cutting in, by the way, uh, with regards to um, election and electoral uh, decisions, uh, our members make these decisions. So, we, uh, we will call a, uh, an internal discussion uh, session where we will discuss where, how many seats you want to go into, where we want to go into, and if you want to go into a coalition. So if you're asking me right now if uh, we are open to a coalition, um, it depends on what the coalition can bring to us, basically. But uh, we have not closed the door uh, officially until our members have decided, basically. Right. So what are PSM's political goals in this current political landscape? I think... Um, we need to reassess uh, what do you call that? Uh, what are our original goals and what is our founding principle? You know, we want to change the system. We don't, and uh, to an extent, as Lenin and Mao had said before, participating within an electoral system may help us uh, achieve that goal. But our main uh, work is organizing people. Our main work is uh, getting the class consciousness up uh, within society. And we are uh, working on that at the moment through our casework, through our union work. Uh, you would have seen the Hospital Workers Union. That is a union that is very close to us. And uh, we work together with them to uh, get the class consciousness up. We have uh, certain organizations such as the TPKK who work with um, contract workers. Uh, we have a, a group of uh, environmentalists that we work with. We're starting work on uh, gay economy workers and also um, masses, uh, my apologies, university students as well. So uh, organizing these people around their issues and around their, uh, their uh, around their clusters is our main work so that uh, we can essentially understand uh, what is the ground essentially needing and instilling a, a sort of class analysis within there as well. Once the people are aware of uh, what you call that, what is their main uh, enemy, uh, how they can move forward with it. That mass base will allow them to uh, bring forth candidates and also um, um, support parties uh, that will align to them. So simply if we take, for example, uh, let's say if we go back to the 70s, there was a um, uh, uh, university students movement that had their own manifesto and pressured candidates to, uh, what do you call that, um, pressure candidates that they will support them uh, if they had followed uh, the manifesto of these university students. That is, a, 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 that is something that we can actually work towards. We can have these uh, units come, uh, come up with their own set of demands and we can uh, uh, offer support for people who uh, meet their demands. That is like the first step. 
the next step is bringing up uh, what we call it, their own candidates, and the next step is like supporting uh, their candidates into uh, parliament as well. It's a long-term project, basically. It is a huge long-term project, and we're focused on restructuring society. Uh, right. In the middle, we may go, we may dip into electoralism. We may like stand in a few seats, asking for people to vote for us. We may stand in a lot of seats, depending on how uh, how our members are uh, are looking at electoral politics. But the main uh, point of getting into office is to get the resources and access needed to organize society better. Right. And, you know, and speaking of building a base or a wider base from social media, it seems like PSM is trying to appeal to a younger generation of Malaysians through the use of memes and online platforms like Discord. What has the reaction been like? Are younger Malaysians interested in socialism? Very much so, actually. So last year when the pandemic was, uh, well, the pandemic, when the pandemic started, basically, um, there was a lot of uh, pressure on us because... Uh, the way that we operated was very on the ground you know, with the people uh, at, at the area that they are uh, that they are to organize them. And uh, when the pandemic started, uh, that kind of like took us away from all of this because we were stuck in our own houses and not being able to do anything. So the youth wing uh, decided, okay, we have a space in social media. Let's start communicating what we do and let's start trying to get people aware of. Uh, of what their issues are through social media. And from then till now, uh, we've had a tremendous um, explosion essentially of uh, people who signed up with our party, who liked our, uh, our, um, our posts, who are following us on social media. Um, uh, just behind the scenes, for example, I can say that our membership for the youth wing uh, increased uh, by over 80% uh, in the past uh, year, basically. So uh, we have grown tremendously. And people are, in fact, uh, if they're not interested in socialism already, they're getting educated on what we're actually talking about. They're understanding the problems of uh, capitalism that we are putting forward. Right. And, and you know, but that is a challenge as well, right, to build class solidarity. As you mentioned earlier, Yishan, people tend to see things, especially in Malaysia, um, from a... a from a uh, racial lens, right? And and to bring in this class analysis can be difficult. So what's your strategy for building class solidarity in a society that is so divided by ethnicity? I think people understand, you know, Deborah. So people understand what their problems are. It's just that it's capitalism packages it in a way that it saves itself. So for example, people understand that, you know, the rich shouldn't be getting richer. But capitalism kind of like distorts that, and the parties distort that by saying, actually, the rich are Chinese. So, uh, you know, the Malays will kind of like gravitate towards that kind of analysis. So when we present to them this alternative saying that actually it is, it is uh, what you call capital owners that are like this, this is why you're facing so much issues. The global imperialism is uh, such that, you know, the third world countries have to compete with each other, uh, and that's why wages are low. That kind of education, when it comes to them, when it makes sense to them, then they understand that actually this is the problem with the system, and then they join. Uh, well, either they join the party or they get radicalized to uh, towards a more class analysis, basically. So um, the the people are aware of what it ails them and what pains them. It is just the packaging of uh, what really is going on beyond the uh, capitalist distortions is what uh, we come in to kind of like make them understand. Right. And and I suppose that, you know, since you've had 80 percent 
uh, increase in your youth membership. Was that was that just youth membership, or was that the party overall? That was just youth membership. Okay, right. So I mean, I I guess there is a growing awareness that a class element is needed in politics. Um, and 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 something I think is very interesting as well about PSM is PSM is also the only political party to openly affirm and defend LGBTQIA plus people's rights in Malaysia, which is widely considered controversial. In the Pakatan Harapan government, which had pledged to improve human rights in the country, ministers deemed advocacy for LGBTQIA plus rights against Islamic teachings. And then the Perikatan national government that came after Pakatan Harapan proposed harsher criminal punishments for LGBTQIA plus people. So why does a small party like PSM believe in defending LGBTQIA plus rights in this environment when that almost guarantees some sort of political backlash? <laughs> yeah, some people say like, you need PSM, stupid lah. I mean, why are you all doing all this, you know? But I think one is very clear is this is not, this is some... I mean, the backlash and everything is not the first thing coming to our mind. First is something is on my is is, uh, this is a very basic human right. That's it. As simple as that. They, I mean, LGBTIQ community uh, should have the basic human right. Therefore, we stand with them. That that's it. That's as simple as that. Of course, uh. Uh, are we not aware about the backlash and everything? Yeah, we're aware about that. It definitely will come to us. But PSM is, uh, we have all sort of backlash. Right? Since the name is socialist, we already come with the backlash that you are a communist, you are not religions, you know. And of course, sometimes we also have, because of our socialist our perspective, people will also say we are uh, anti-rich people, anti-this, anti-that. We, we are, <laughs> we are get used with it. But it's what we stand firm on uh, LGBT community, LGBTIQ community uh, should have a basic right. That's, that's it. I think this is also why it attracted me to join the uh, PSM at the first place. Right. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that, right? Um, but without any elected MPs, how does PSM intend to advocate for LGBTQIA plus rights? I think, uh, of course, you're right, right? So... Uh, I mean, PSM have history that uh, we, we, we even do not have a, a, a member of parliament. We still can uh, advocate uh, policy and it become implement, uh, become an act in Malaysia. Just for example, the minimum wage, for example. So when we start advocating minimum wage, we have no MP. And uh, and then we, we, of course, later we have that Dr. Kuma. But, uh, but still, we can work on that. And now they become an act, uh, the minimum wage act, which is uh, benefit quite a lot of people, which I think it should be, and which we think it should be more increased, which do not laugh. But anyway, it's still that uh, we managed to get the act uh, in Malaysia without, like you say, an MP, right? But uh, back to the LGBT uh, policy, uh, I will, we, we noticed that in Malaysia, there's no any policy come to that. I think it's have to take a uh, step by step. Uh, I think by first, uh, like I'm, I'm also from the LGBT community myself. So actually uh, among my community, we see that a lot of people feel disappointing and uh, hopeless or even helpless 
where there's no uh, there's no political party that support them or stand with them. Like clearly, we don't see any of the political parties saying that, and even we have a a a, a member of parliament who abandoned uh, his comrade uh, because uh, his comrade is a is a gay. So people really feel uh, hopeless, you know. I think with uh, PSM have coming out a statement and, and uh, continuously supporting or uh, voicing out uh, LGBT rights or issues, I think it's really helped the community to see that, uh, to, to not to feel hopeless uh, and helpless because there is a political party who are supporting our rights our basic right. So I think then it would be help them to empower them to like, maybe I should be more uh, involving in, in politics so that I can make some changing in, in my country. Because before this, a lot of, my, a lot of our, our community, they are like, no, what, what is the point of about politics? Because there are, there's no politicians that help us, all politicians talk about and uh, hate us, you know, so I think this is something of a uh, uh, very beginning, and of course we are also uh, having more LGBT person uh, participate in also uh, joining PSM. Uh, I think uh, we are also working on to present uh, policy. Of course, the policy is not work alone by only by PSM. It should be worked together with other LGBT community or uh, CSO that work together on the policy. And do you think working outside the electoral system could actually affect more tangible change in this area since it's so controversial within, you know, electoral politics to bring up LGBTQIA plus rights? I think in the past one year, we do have a conversation that uh, among my friends and my circle where how do you think that we have an LGBT candidate incoming election. So like 99% of the comment is like, wow, uh, but we are not going to win. They say, yeah, we are not going to win. Of course, uh, I think there's, there's a sad reality, right? Uh, in, in coming election or even two more term, I, I, don't, I still don't see that uh, it's a possible that we can win, win in elections, especially in, in current scenario. Unless there are some huge changing in uh, current political phenomena where people will not using religions uh, to uh, saying some stuff of anti-LGBT or LGBT will not become the scapegoat in any of the things, then I think there will be a huge change. However, we, we, all, we all know that it's not going to happen in like next five year things, right? So I think, uh, but it doesn't mean that we need to stop in there. I think, uh, like back to what I say, is monitoring is still very important. Of course, uh, and we also monitor as LGBT person or community, we are not only monitor whether you are doing a good job or not, but at the same time, we also monitor, are you anti-LGBT or not? I'm not saying that you need to like publicly voicing out that I'm supporting LGBT, but I want you to, I want to see whether are you openly supporting or saying any anti-LGBT things. I think that's very important. If you're saying something, that means, uh, oh no, I cannot support you. And 
you need to change your mindset and something like that. I think it's still back to that. that lah. Yeah, I mean, I think in a conservative country like Malaysia, the bar is very low, right? So even not openly engaging in hate speech or derogatory language, that's already <laughs> quite a win. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think that 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 is interesting that actually PSM has been able to push through the Minimum Wage Act without an elected representative. Um, so what are PSM's policy priorities right now? So uh, at the moment, we have a uh, campaign that is going to come up uh, uh, that focuses on uh, healthcare, uh, economy, jobs creation, uh, protecting our workers, uh, and environmentalism. I think a huge thing that uh, we are uh, really trying to push for and we're taking very seriously is uh, uh, environmentalism. I think uh, it is getting lost in the conversation, uh, especially, um, you know, you can see that the IPCC report has come out uh, possibly a week or two ago and it's not being discussed in any uh, length uh, by any political party at the moment. Uh, we are aware of it and we're taking it further. Uh, we are working with a uh, group of uh, talented uh, young environmentalists uh, who will focus on things such as deforestation, um, land rights issues, and also uh, energy production, for example. So um, that becomes uh, one of the cause, but uh, we have a few pillars as well, as I said before, things like jobs creation, healthcare, uh, those become our uh, spearheads. And why are those your areas of focus? Uh, that's where we believe, uh, well, <laughs> that, that's where the, the, the most impact can be uh, given for, uh, uh, and that's what we have been working on for so long as well. So if we take, for example, healthcare, it's quite obvious, pandemic is going on, and we need to understand that what we are facing is an existential crisis uh, in that you know, a lot of uh, uh, specialty care is uh, locked away uh, behind uh, private healthcare stores. Uh, we need to make people aware that um, this kind of like um, 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 equipment and specialists are needed in the public hospitals as well. Uh, the, there is there is a need for higher allocation of the budget for healthcare and uh, things like that, so that people who do uh, need this kind of uh, uh, facilities uh, can access them quite easily. Environmentalism, obviously, it's about uh, the biggest existential crisis that is facing the world right now is uh, climate change. Um, and uh, things like uh, deforestation is also affecting Malaysia a lot. We can see that in Yan Kedah, there was a huge uh, flood uh, just yesterday. And that is caused by, although the, uh, the Madri Basa would not agree, that is caused by um, uh, deforestation and uh, landslide potentially. So uh, we are really looking uh, to um, affect change uh, where change is most needed. Uh, jobs creation, uh, essentially we're trying to take back the economy from the public, uh, private sector uh, to ensure that everyone is guaranteed a job uh, if they need it. Uh, and uh, this also helps us to uh, focus on certain areas that may not be so quote unquote profitable, um, uh, but it would be beneficial to us in the long run as well. Things like um, care work, uh, social work, uh, that is necessary for our residents uh, in PPRs and our other underclasses. And and how are you advocating for these policies? Um, the main outlet is uh, the groups that we are organizing. So uh, outside of 
the mainstream, what do you call that, uh, social media that we have seen us uh, in. We are working together on the ground with uh, PPR residents, with environmental uh, activists uh, to uh, build a proper policies and um, a, a real coalition of the people to push forward uh, these changes uh, at two levels, essentially. One level is, of course, to whichever standing government uh, exists by that time uh, so that they can take this all into consideration and uh, put forward perhaps not all, but some of the uh, progressive policies that we come up with. But at another level, we are trying to really educate the masses of uh, where the problems actually are and what are the uh, short-term and long-term solutions as well, so that they become radicalized and then either uh, take part in our uh, organizations on the ground or join the party or even uh, start their own organizations that is uh, a little bit more class-conscious. Great. So last question. If Malaysia's parliament stays dead, what will be the future of PSM? Ooh, good question. Let me uh, start that first, basically. Um, the future of PSM is set. We don't care about, we don't really need parliament to survive. We have survived without parliament for over, uh, for the best part of 20 years, we've survived without parliament. And even beyond that, uh, as our uh, founders or activists from the 80s and, and, and such. Um, politics is not always about who has the most number of seats. Politics is about people, what their needs are, what are the policies that they need, and what work goes into organizing them. Uh, between all political parties that we see in parliament, I think uh, the ones who are outside of parliament, i.e. us, are the ones who are really active on the ground to organize the people. Once we get this mass class conscious, we wouldn't need a parliament. What we would, what we can go through is things like uh, workers' unions or things like uh, people's associations to form a, a mini sort of, a, uh, what do you call that, uh, parliaments in, in those areas and them working together can form policies and things that are uh, going forward. Uh, so uh, while we might think that parliament is the only way that politics can work, uh, a lot of the time it is actually an impediment. And I have more faith in uh, people's organizations rather than elitist uh, electoral politics. What about you, Ishan? To become a government. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think uh, Irene is putting a very good idea. Now. Of course, um, with people, is always our uh, important goal, right? But I think, uh, like, in order to change the policy, uh, I think it has to go in both ways, right? Of course, uh, in the future, I think uh, we, if we have a, a, a post or a seat in uh, parliament, I think it will definitely bring a lot of difference uh, in our country. Even we just see, judging by uh, just a Dr. Jayakumar, uh, he alone in the, uh, in the uh, parliament, is actually already uh, bring up a, a quite diverse uh, opinions in our parliament, which we lack of right now in our parliament. So I think we shouldn't, uh, we should have uh, a PSM in Parliament so that we can bring more diverse, more grassroots uh, of uh, people-oriented uh, idea and conversations and policy or discussions into uh, this Parliament, which is now we do not have it. So I think that is very important. That's why I said, yeah, we should become a government. Oh. <laughs> so that we can have better policies for the people. Yeah, well, I'll definitely be watching out for that. 
So thank you both for speaking to me, for taking time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And it's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you, Debra. Thank you. Our thanks to Arvind and Nishan for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah, wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!